I'm joined for the second of our series of podcast discussions of articles by Mark Anderson once again of AmericanFreePress.net. That's the right URL, isn't it, Mark? Correct. And what other organs do you write uh, or speak for at the current time, just so that people who are getting to know your work for the first time can follow you elsewhere? I currently do a radio show at republicbroadcasting.org, Alex, that runs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 2 to 3 p.m. Central U.S. time. That's 3 to 4 Eastern. That radio show is called Stop the Presses. That's been going since late November of 2018. Uh, there's also AmericanFreePress.net, as you mentioned, plus our hard copy newspaper. Uh, shameless plug, you can call 888-699-NEWS in the United States to check out subscriptions or just write subscriptions at AmericanFreePress.net, that email. Uh, I also have a blog, thetruthhound.com. I contribute to worldimpactnews.net. And my, uh, that's run by a Christian pastor, uh, Jason Mangum. So that carries a somewhat Christian uh, perspective on some of the news. And then there's um, uh, ukcolumn.org, as we know. I've, I've begun to appear more regularly on there and occasionally on alternate current radio, not alternative, but alternatecurrentradio.com, uh, hosted by Hesher, who sometimes works with the um, the the head of uh, 21st Century Wire, Patrick Henningsen. Many of us know about his work. So it, it runs a pretty wide gamut of outlets. And I do hope that sooner or later, one of the hosts of TNTradio.live, that's today's news talk radio based in Brisbane, but with a lot of American presenters, will have you on as well. But we'll leave that to their discretion. They're doing a very good job in that startup uh, radio uh, channel of having a, a very broad range of qualified people commenting in the free media. Oh, I will mention, I was just on there. You uh, were already good. Hour. Yeah, well, Hesher co-hosted or guest hosted for Patrick Henningsen, and I was just on there. Yep. So there we go. There we are. You've got the full gamut there, Mark. And as you quite rightly say, you are a regular once again with ukcolumn.org in both video, uh, audio and print now, or screen version of print. But without further ado, the piece in our health section, which we're talking about uh, today, is one that we published on the 16th of June 2022, written by you, and it's entitled World Leaders All But Admit Major WHO Empowerment Is Imminent. Um, first of all, how do you research goings on in, in this case, agencies of the UN, which is what the WHO is? Are you following largely the commentary of, for example, James Roguski uh, and others who are well known as, as, as spotters of what's going on with the, well, it's loosely called pandemic treaty negotiations, but he's very keen to point out there is also international health regulations going on. Uh, or do you use other sources? I mainly use primary sources, Alex. Um, while I've seen some of the writers you're talking about, and I might look at their stuff a little, what I've always tried to do is avoid confirmation bias or avoid um, mimicking what someone else writes by relying too heavily on someone else's journalistic work. Uh, what you find is a lot of times the organizations such as the WHO and the UN um, are fairly plain about what they plan to do. It's just that it's written in the language of globalese, uh, which is a term that I coined, if I may say. And globalese is sort of a opaque, somewhat vague way of wording things 
that at first glance look innocuous, but if you read them carefully, then you realize what they're what they're implying. Right. And so I, I yeah. So I primarily use uh, primary sources. Uh, I was following the World Health Assembly of the WHO, which concluded May 28th in Geneva. It started May 22nd. And I was watching the WHO website about outcomes from that World Health Assembly. And sure enough, on June 1st, there was a press conference on the WHO website and a transcript. And the transcript explained how they're taking things from the World Health Assembly that just concluded, and they're building on that. They're moving forward with that. And as I state in the article you mentioned that's posted at uh, ukcolumn.org, one of the first orders of business was to raise the funding for the WHO. And they want to increase the funding by some 16, or excuse me, 34%, because right now the member nations contribute about 16% of the base budget of the WHO. Well, they want to go from 16% to 50%. But currently, so Mark, who is supplying the other five-sixths of the World Health Organization budget if it is not member states? Um, that I don't altogether know, Alex. I'm going to plead non-knowledge on that. I didn't happen to follow that thread for this article. At any that rate, in itself is telling, isn't it, that they do not broadcast that? It, it is in a way, right. There's a gap there. there there's a hole. But in the part that nation states do contribute, and the word contribute is a little bit soft, uh, the, the uh, subscriptions and contributions to the International Monetary Fund, for example, or to U.S. allocations to support NATO, are they really voluntary? You know, are they contributions? Not really. It's something the taxpayers, taxpayers are forced into funding. At any rate, they want to take their base budget from 16% funded by member nations to 50. So that's a 34% increase. So, so they want more money. And from there, uh, they talk about a lot about making the global health body stronger in the area of governance, which I describe in the article as code for unelected bureaucrats interacting with chosen elements of the private sector in public-private partnerships to foist changes upon the world that would otherwise not be achievable, uh, usually outside the confines of elected legislatures. And Tedros, as I call him, uh, his last name's a bit of a steep thing for me. I think it's Gebrasis, the director general of the WHO. He said, coming out of the World Health Assembly, he said, the assembly made important decisions on strengthening WHO's preparedness for and response to health emergencies, including making targeted amendments to the 2005 international health regulations. As many of us know, you do, Alex, that earlier this year, the Biden White House took a lot of those IHR amendments and submitted them from the US perspective. Right, this is and HHS, a rather overmighty arm of the executive branch of government in the US now, the, the Department of Health and Human Services. And yes. how far back does it go that HHS became, I think they run OSHA, don't they, the occupational health people who, who uh, not least in the Michigan where you're speaking from at the moment, are quite feared because of the powers they have if they inspect or raid a property. But the parent organization, HHS, how far back does it go that they are a, a major, uh, they have major clout in the federal government? Well, pretty far back. I mean, 
I don't know that they've been as visible in the past as they are now. I don't have an exact read on that one, but certainly they're becoming more prominent. Um, the CDC is also, of course, under Fauci, the rock star in some people's minds, has also become much more prominent than it has ever been before. So, of course, they operate in, in pretty much symbiosis, the CDC and Health and Human Services, and they, by design or by default, have become more powerful and more prominent in the world scene, especially in the, in the United States, because the COVIDocracy, of course, that's what how I describe the bureaucracy around COVID-19, the COVIDocracy, has become such an overpowering thing, partnering with Pfizer, especially, and Albert Borla, and they become... Um, almost an element of government onto themselves yeah it's perhaps almost, it's precisely almost... because there is very little as in nothing about health and health policy in the u.s constitution or indeed in most of the state constitutions to my uh, superficial knowledge of the, the, the matter but i've never read a state constitution that says much about health um perhaps that gives them uh more freedom to invent their role uh, plus the fact of course that when hhs meet their equivalents from executive branches of government overseas, those particularly in Europe and Latin America, those agencies and ministries have very set and long established uh, procedures, which they can just transfer directly, as it were, to their opposite numbers from the US. Yes, yeah, so I'll mention in passing very briefly that one of the founders of the US Constitution, Benjamin Rush, was a doctor and actually lamented and spoke about the fact that the Constitution left at least indirectly, uh, maybe 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 by omission, not by commission, um, left a wide gap there for big medicine to grow. And he actually voiced his concerns a long, long time ago that under this constitution, one regret that he had was that he foresaw a medical monopoly eventually forming. Extremely and, prescient that was. Yeah, and that's largely because there was absent anything in the Constitution. It did not contain anything to limit that in any way. And that was his personal view. That's worth mentioning in the context that you suggested, Alex. But yeah, the, the situation is such where the, the Washington Post recently ran an article about how crazy people are for suspecting that the, that the WHO would assume monstrous powers, that it's going to be the overlord of us all. But the thing is, it's a, it's a more surreptitious, incremental thing than that. It comes from several directions. It's it's more gradual. It's not glacially slow, but it's not an all at once power grab either. So what the Washington Post does is it makes a satire or parody of people's views that are concerned about the WHO getting too strong. But in fact, it is seeking a lot more power as Tedros and many others are admitting. Right. But and the key word gonna... is governance, isn't it? As you've already said, Mark, because yes. they're not that they can they can plausibly deny deny, although it is thin cover, they can deny that they're involved in changing government. They are not ordering the uh, Department of Health and Human Services directly uh, what to do, much less the Congress or the judiciary. But they are giving them a steer governance, which, as you together with Ian Davis correctly identify, is something which sits two or three levels above elected governments, doesn't it, at the level of banks, financial institutions? Exactly. Governance, in my opinion, is code for the other form of government, that is the private network. Uh, it's a term that the globalists use almost exclusively. You and I say government. We, we talk about traditional government, but governance 
is a different matter altogether uh, run by the banking consortium and the media access that they own. And uh, now big pharma is a big part of this. As I say, in government or outside of government, the medical apparatus, government or governance is becoming a power unto itself. But they don't necessarily have to blatantly centralize everything under the roof of the WHO. They can be a little bit more you know, surreptitious or sneaky about it, tiptoe, if you will. But one of the things that uh, Tedros added was, and he's referring to the big kahuna, that's the World Pandemic Treaty, that's the big kahuna that they're all after. He said, a stronger global health architecture is needed. And he continued by praising a new international accord on pandemic preparedness. So Tedros, the director general of the WHO is saying, the way we're gonna get a quote, stronger global health architecture, end quote, is to create a quote, new international accord on pandemic preparedness, end quote. Right, that and he's is, not using a, a vague word there, Mark, is he? Because you know, many, many documents or many names for documents are bandied about which have no basis in international law. It's like solemn declarations is one that Britain came out with recently. But when you say accord, you are using the established language of international law as in treaty-based law. You know, it's a, a court is a step or two below a treaty, which itself is a step below a convention, but it is a recognized diplomatic uh, instrument. Exactly. And this is what I mean by using primary sources and looking at their language. When you read Globalese and you read that once, you just kind of blow by it, but you back up and you did a great job there, Alex. You back up a couple words and go, aha, the word accord. See, there's no mistakes in any other language. When you read their language, every word has been carefully thought out in the pronouncements, um, press releases, press conferences, whatever it is these globalists are doing, every word is there for a reason. There, there's no superfluous language ever. Right. And this is not just the Americans. The Brits do this as well. I think the Brits probably taught the Americans some of how they, they get a, they get their weaselly way. And the example we had today in UK Column News was one of our viewers had asked the Foreign Office when they changed their mind on the participation of British soldiers. And now you've reported today for us American soldiers also have been captured in the Ukraine. And the Foreign Office replied, trying to make it seem that the Foreign Office was declaring these Brits to be members of the regular armed forces of the Ukraine. But if you look carefully, they were saying, well, the Ukrainians have affirmed to us that this is the case and that they are therefore covered by the Geneva Convention and are not mercenaries, according to the 1977 protocol. They did not themselves say we, we assess this to, or we assert this to be the case. Yeah, exactly. There, there's maneuvers like that. Anyway, what's what's really important here is to add what Tedros also said, and that this new accord, this international pandemic treaty, will be, quote, a critical piece of a stronger global architecture for health emergency preparedness. And here come the most important words, and response. That word response, you could drive a tank through it. That response means more pandemics, more vaccines for current or new pandemics, wearing masks, which they call personal protection. And to add on to this, this seems to have originated in terms of the, where did this start and where is it going? This seems to have originated, according to the British House of Commons Library website, they posted an article May 18th, and that article noted, and this is, this is reported in the article that I wrote on the UK Column website, quote, the WHO is negotiating a treaty 
on pandemic preparedness, there's the word treaty, the, the roots of which go back to March of 2021, that's when, quote, a group of world leaders led by Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced an initiative for a new treaty on pandemic preparedness and response, there's that word again, from there, the initiative, get this, was taken to the WHO. So it went from these world leaders to the WHO, not the other way around, and will be negotiated, drafted, and debated by a newly established intergovernmental negotiation body. And that's in capitals, I-N-B, they have capitalized. So it's going to right, be that, a formal organ. Right, I did not add that. I, I never embellish. I. This is exactly the way they put it. And so in a way they hang themselves if you know what to look for. Of course, I make the note under the Republican form of government in the US and parliaments of other nations, at least most other nations, you don't just delegate these kind of things to an unaccountable, extra constitutional, unheard of body. In fact, there's enough and, European constitutions that specifically forbid parliaments from delegating such powers to other bodies. Exactly. But when these world leaders who are pretty much all executive officers, you know, they, they, they're not lawmakers. They're supposed to be law enforcers or uphold the law. That's the executive branch. When they get together, Alex, it seems like they see themselves as almost a quasi-legislative body. Well, I'm Emmanuel Macron and I'm Boris Johnson and now we're under the same roof. So now all of a sudden we've taken on some slightly other governance function. And then they they kind of, they're almost like a planning commission and they make like a quasi policy molding legislative recommendation. And as I say, they're sending it to the WHO. Then it goes to this in caps, intergovernmental negotiation body. And it would appear, and may lightning strike me if I'm wrong, it would appear that that would involve little in the way of parliament. Right. And, and, and when, when this gets kicked back in the more awake, let's just keep it to Western Europe, the more awake countries, which have to include Britain and the Netherlands, the two countries I know best, but they are widely recognised now as having some of the most uh, resistance to these COVID measures or whatever will follow. Uh, Prime Minister Johnson and Prime Minister Rutte can say, with some kind of a straight face, terribly sorry, but this came from the faceless bureaucrats of Geneva. This is world government. What can we do? Throw our hands up. But yes, they initiated they might, it. That's a really good point. That's an excellent point. And they might even sound like a uh, Alex Thompson or a Mark Anderson for just a moment in their lives, saying we're being overwhelmed by a beast that we fed and a, a dragon that we kept alive, but we won't talk about that. We'll just talk about the dragon is really nasty. He's huge. He's got big fire breathing snouts like in a Disney movie or something. Uh, that's really well put. And for the record, uh, the 25 world leaders, uh, the list of them who kind of hatched or pushed this thing along, they said this collectively, no government can address the threat of pandemics alone we must come together. Now that's typical parlance for uh, globalizing things that, uh, and it may, be, it may be true in some instances, it may not be true, but they're always repeating that mantra, are they, aren't they? No government can address these things alone. It, it transcends borders, we must come together. Whether it's true or not is immaterial. That this take, is just take, one of their- Take the USA, Canada, Britain, and Ireland, right? Even if you have to pair them together and say North America as a whole and the British Isles as a whole will respond, the money, the experience, and above all, the geography is there to enable a perfectly valid go-it-alone pandemic response, as has happened in the past. And yet these are the very countries claiming to be unable to act. 
Uh, exactly. That's why they spoke a lot about vaccine nationalism at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and other uh, uh, outfits that I cover. There seems to be this terrible crime that if you develop a vaccine and you do it under your own laws, your own regulations, and you don't immediately share it with other countries, that you're, you know, less than a moral person, to put it mildly. But if you think about that another way, uh, just because I'm the president of a country and my country develops a vaccine, I might not know about specific health issues in some other country on the other side of the world. Um, I don't want to override their laws anyway. And so the laws of nations or the sovereignty of nations should always be respected. What if the most, what if most of their population doesn't want that vaccine? Am I a humanitarian for saying, here's, here's extra vaccines, you, you're going to need these, and I'm going to encourage your government to force these vaccines on you? There were Is these pitiful the... scenes, laughable scenes, really, contemptible, of uh, a bunch of, uh, I hate to use this description, but we'll have to use it, middle-class white people uh, falling pretend dead on the steps of, I think it was Downing Street, during the midst of the alleged pandemic or wave one thereof. And they were staging this die in on behalf of the poor benighted people of Africa who were dying because they weren't being given COVID vaccines at an equitable rollout rate. I didn't see actual right. Africans doing this. Vaccine equity, vaccine internationalism, right. But what if it's the vaccine itself that would kill those Africans? That's never considered. Just as they cover up the yellow card data in the UK, the VAERS data in the US don't want to talk about adverse effects, don't want to talk about apparent vaccine deaths. So the cure can be worse than the disease, but let's not talk about that. The only humane thing to do is we got millions of extra vials, let's send it to them and encourage their government to force them to take it and play the role of the so-called humanitarian. And that's the danger, of course, with future pandemics and that we would see even more of that that we began to saw in the so-called COVID pandemic that started in 2020. And so if you give something like the WHO directly or indirectly more power, and, and you talked about, uh, it was mentioned, uh, monkeypox was mentioned on the UK column today, uh, where they're, they're taking it extremely seriously um, and having emergency meetings over monkeypox, um, and, you know, ready to roll out some sort of uh, stern measures possibly what does that tell you about the who becoming stronger it will probably become more of a hair trigger organization where things normally considered relatively modest will be considered much more seriously that's my opinion based on what i'm seeing so far and in closing in the last couple of paragraphs mark you uh, in fact use the word striking yourself you talk about the who trying to attain what are strikingly called and they certainly are quote, triple billion targets. And these are separate from the slightly better known SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, who are, which are 17 in total, but some of them are specifically health related. These triple billion targets I hadn't heard of before. Uh, have you been following them for a while or did that come up and bite you on the nose? It came up and bit me on the nose. Um, one of the things I've been, I, of course, I'm aware like you are, Alex, of the STGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which as you know, are all encompassing and they are unequivocally, as I say in here, they're unequivocally designed for global governance. Of that, we can be, we, we, we're, in, we're not mistaken. They're a core component of the UN's infamous Agenda 2030. And it appears that triple billion targets is global ease for trying to plug in the global pandemic treaty and uh, preparedness and responses on pandemics to plug that in 
to these sustainable development goals and probably, and this is, a, this is speculation right now, but probably make them actually part of the SDGs. Uh, that's the way it looks. Um, and that would open the door for Big Pharma to push its often risky, uh, dangerous vaccines on the public through a more one size fits all approach if that happens. And as a sterling example of globalese, uh, the WHO literature, WHO literature says the triple billion targets are an ambitious initiative to improve the health of billions of people by 2023. Well, the grammar doesn't uh, average out there, does it? Because uh, billions of people, plural, you know, the, 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 the ranks of bureaucrats who've gone through this would immediately spot if they were sincere that that doesn't equate to triple billion singular. Are they possibly, you might find me too conspiratorially minded here, are they possibly tipping a nod to the idea that one billion is the optimum population? This idea actually is quite widespread in Russian discourse, the idea of Zolotoy Milyard, the golden billion. Well, that is speculative, but we can't take anything off the table when it comes to the organizations and people we're talking about. We've all heard of the Georgia Guidestones uh, in the state of Georgia in the US near the South Carolina border. I've been there myself. I think they should be taken down because they are a declaration of a certain worldview where only about 500 million people, maybe a little more, would be allowed to live. Now, is it just some sort of metaphorical statement not to be taken literally? I don't know, but why are they so heavily guarded? Why do some of the stones weigh well over 10 tons? Uh, why such a formidable structure to make all these broad globalization kind of uh, predictions or desires for policy, if you will, policy directives, policy visions? Why all that? Why such a serious monument that the police protect 24-7, by the way, if it's only just a bunch of you know, wishful, idealistic, utopian statements not to be taken seriously. So some of us do have, you know, considerable concerns about that. But, you know, we take it uh, one fact at a time and we keep exploring it. And a lot of times, and in this case, I believe the globalists have outed themselves, if you know what to look for. Oh, and they've also outed their uh, Achilles heel or their fears, haven't they? Because you close with a quotation which you describe aptly as a paragraph of globalese from World Health Organization literature. And they are describing in this paragraph their current, namely 13th iteration of their general program of work. So the WHO's general program of work, GPW 13. And they describe that the results framework of this general program of work is a new tool designed to measure and improve the WHO's impact on health at the country level. It sounds all fine and dandy, Mark, but are they not really admitting here, conceding that they cannot act without nation states and their governments uh, having been persuaded to act on their behalf? Yeah, I think it's because it goes both ways. The, the U.S., like with NATO, is sort of the, the, the big kid on the block, and it works with these other global leaders. Uh, Great Britain is probably right up there. Uh, Bojo is their faithful servant at the global level. And they, they kind of nudge the WHO to do this, and the WHO responds, and and empowers the world leaders and encourages them to carry out the very policies that the WHO and these world leaders agreed upon. So, so it's, it's, it's effectively a, colonialism, isn't it? It, it, is, it is wealthy imperialistic nations, according to one way of looking at it, making sure that the Africans and the Asians are jolly well doing what London and Washington want. 
Right, and the WHO is more their tool than them being the WHO's tool, but it's a little bit of a two-directional thing. The, the, the street runs both ways because there's revolving doors. Today's prime minister could be tomorrow's member of the WHO board. Uh, uh, today's WHO uh, apparatchik or bureaucrat could become tomorrow's prime minister somewhere or a member of parliament. There's all these revolving doors. So it's a shared power thing. It's not just some simplistic empowerment of the WHO, even though that's part of it. And that's how they debunk people like you and I. They say, oh, we're concerned about the WHO being this overlord. Well, yes, but it's not that simple. No, and there are certain key nations in the Anglo-American orbit that are noted for this. You mentioned that Norwegian Prime Minister Erna Solberg is one of the um, 25 world leaders who we um, find have authored a statement pushing for the WHO to take these actions that we're discussing. Uh, Norway is notorious in its support for the, the Clinton Global Health Initiative, for example, a separate topic we can't talk about today. Uh, but just a couple of months ago, in a, in a separate but related matter, we found that Norway's um, Jens Stoltenberg, when his term expires as Secretary General of NATO, is going off to be, if I'm not mistaken, the governor of the Norwegian Central Bank. So quite a revolving door. Yeah, that that's a, that's a somewhat surprising at, at least in my mind, uh, going going to a bank, uh, uh, the head of a bank, but uh, for him, he was a, a, a Danish prime minister, I believe, right? Norwegian. Yeah. Norwegian. Thank you. Thank you for that. But I don't want this uh, podcast to end, Alex, without mentioning that of those 25 world leaders, one of them is the so-called president of Ukraine, Zelensky himself. That that bears repeating. Yes, it's it's all looking rather hideous the more we look at it, but some vulnerabilities and some shortcomings have been identified by the global dreamers here in in the implementation of their health agenda and uh, this podcast has encapsulated that by going on primary sources what the bureaucrats themselves say and even secondhand by going on for example the house of commons libraries briefings to members of parliament on the official line to take on all these developments and how you should vote and how harmless and innocuous this all is by going through these public documents, which have to be released by the bureaucrats and briefers, you can more or less find out exactly what's happening. Oh, absolutely. You just have to be patient and know what to look for. They typically hang themselves. I'll mention in passing, and we're probably wrapping up, that the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, one of many think tanks I keep a very close eye on, had a recent meeting uh, in May where Helen Clark, the former New Zealand PM, and some other participants talked very uh, explicitly, as explicitly as I've seen lately anyway, about future pandemics are all but a certainty. And so they were really pumping the, here we, here we go again, another pandemic or another variant of the existing one or both are on the horizon. And they all make their agitations, if you will, that then justify what I described today. You know, they've got to constantly invoke fear and constantly invoke the germ theory of disease and how that's the only thing to worry about and keep everybody in a state of fear. So therefore, these things will sound more acceptable. Finally, Mark, the US has form in withdrawing funding from an entire agency of the UN uh, with the in this in the shape of UNESCO, the educational and uh, cultural body of the UN, which of course has very questionable origins back with Julian Huxley. Um, President right. Trump, at, in the time of his uh, uh, presidency, he didn't use the word communist, but he, he basically made plain that uh, the US was not going to fund the pushing of communism. 
which is the, you know, the explicit aim of UNESCO if you look at the 1948 founding documents. Is there any possibility that this or a future administration, I guess not this one, but a future one, might uh, repeat this and withdraw funding from uh, the WHO? I guess even if they did, it probably wouldn't be game over because of the tax-exempt foundations, largely British and American ones, that would step in to foot the bill. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough call, Alex. I'm going to say in the near term, no. I think the WHO, because of the pandemic, can justify its existence, and the leaders can, can, can look to the WHO and say, oh, didn't they give us wonderful guidance? Of course, there was all the allegations of connections with China, and the WHO was largely a tool of China. I don't know how true that is. I have not personally looked at it. But I think getting rid of UNESCO, which some people call the Global School Board, and even Ronald Reagan was very critical of, uh, getting rid of UNESCO was an easier thing. Uh, the WHO, I'm afraid, is, is around for quite a while, at least at this juncture. But I suppose by the same token, once uh, people have seen through this that what's done for your health at a global level is not necessarily all sweetness and light, there is nothing else, uh, arguably the environment, but that's, that's part of the same ruse, there's nothing else that can be trotted out to persuade people to fall into the embrace of global governance, perhaps uh, short of an alien invasion being staged. Yeah, they, they, can only, they can only fund so many wars and conflicts. There's only so many boogeymen they can treat, uh, trot out, excuse me. But a pandemic, uh, pathogens, microscopic germs, when you invoke something like that, it's all encompassing. It can hit anyone at any time. And obviously that's the best model for a more straight-jacketed global governance that would really take fear to every individual. That it, is quite a good perfect, way to wrap up, isn't it? The WHO is taking fear to every individual. Uh, yeah, whether it means to or not. I mean, I don't know what all their intentions are of everybody that's on the WHO, but the results are, are you know, plain for all to see. You know, you judge, a, you judge a tree by the fruit that it bears. Mark, we're glad that you're on the case for us, among the other outlets that you speak and write for. And no doubt you'll be updating us. Uh, in due course when both the health regulations, international health regulations, and in time this great whopper, the pandemic treaty, come to fruition, God forbid. Thank you for well, following it for yeah, us. Certainly, no problem, Alex. Certainly before that, we'll, we'll watch it very closely, um, week by week, day by day if we have to. So thank you. Thank you.